enjoyed the service last night, the good word of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord. Fellowship with the people of God. Amen. I'm glad to be a part of God's great church. Yes. Amen. Are you? Yes. Hallelujah. That's the best thing that ever happened to any of us when uh, the Lord led us in his church. Yes. Praise God. He's the most honorable and uh, outstanding thing that ever happened to us when we was brought into fellowship with the family of God. Praise God. Now I probably won't use that, but I like to have them. I teach a Bible lesson without a blackboard. You don't have to use it, you just have to have it. Amen. The reason, the reason I don't use a blackboard is because I can't draw and I can't spell. If it wasn't for that, I'd use it. Can you spell? Praise the Lord. Well, let's stand. Let me read a verse of scripture to you. In the 25th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, I got through yesterday. Someone who wasn't here asked someone else, said, well, what did you teach about? They said, well, let's see. He never did say what it was about. That's about the way I felt when I got through. I felt like I never did get around to saying what it was about. But, uh, well, they say teach, you got to teach, whether you know what it's about or not. So you just visit with us through the word of the Lord today, and we'll try to do better. Deuteronomy 25 and 13, Thou shalt not have in thy bag divers weights, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thine house divers measures, a great and a small. Thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things and all that do unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord. Everyone say in Jesus' name, God bless you, you can be seated. Maybe for just a few moments we could... Uh, Kind of go over what we were trying to say to you yesterday in the first day of a series of lessons. If you're going to follow a series, the first day is kind of scatterbarrel. And I told Brother Sandy, he said something, I said, well, it's kind of scatterbarrel. He said, well, that's all right. There's probably birds in every tree. <laughs> really, I, I hope I'm not shooting birds. I'd like to feed sheep if I could. But you, you'll have to judge that. What we tried to say to you yesterday, and at least plant this thought for your consideration, is that God's plan is a reasonable plan. God is not trying to fool anyone. God is not trying to trick us. I, I believe in the supernatural, and I believe in the great miraculous workings of the Spirit of God. But I do believe and I don't want you to misunderstand me, uh, yet I want you to consider this. I do believe that we sometimes attach too much mystery to the plan of God. We attach too much mystery to it. Really, it's very straightforward. It's very reasonable. 
Amen. It can be understood. It can be received by a thinking person and appreciated. You can look into all the corners of the plan of God, and it's very practical, really. Yes. Very sensible. God's plan is very sensible. Hallelujah. You don't have to uh, be psyched out to appreciate God's plan. You can have both feet flat on the floor, your mind clear, amen, thinking straight, and can appreciate the beautiful plan of God. It makes sense. God's plan makes sense. Hallelujah. Praise God. And uh, the Lord said, come let us reason together. He said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hallelujah. Someone says, well, I'm afraid to, I'm afraid to let them go home and think about it. They may change their mind. Well, they need to think about it. They really have not made up their mind until they've thought about it. Right. Hallelujah. That's right. And we would do well. We'd have a lot more keepers if... Everyone did as Jesus said, sit down first and count the cost. Count the cost. You mean, you mean if I receive this New Testament salvation, I've got to give up my smoking and drinking, yes, and your television and your wigs, amen, and you're cutting your hair, and the men have got to get a good haircut, yes. You mean I have to? Yes, you have to. You mean I cannot have the things of God without that? No, you can't have the things of God without it. This you have to do. Well, what do I get? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The power of God, the companionship of the Spirit of the Lord, the comfort, amen, hallelujah, the power of God to overcome the world, amen, the promise that He'll be with you all the way, even to the end of the world. You get the joy of a clean heart, a straight life, hallelujah, you get fellowship with good people, opportunity to raise your children up in a better atmosphere, Amen. Around better people. Hallelujah. Yes. You get to be a part of folks that have some honor and decency about them. Yes. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If you're faithful to God, you are guaranteed that uh, there will be someone who will help you bear your burdens. When you're weak, the strong will help you bear your burdens. When you're sick, you can get some help. Yes. Amen. All of this is offered to you. Yes, Hallelujah. And when you weigh it all out, when you consider it all and think it all through, amen, hopefully you are convinced in your mind and your heart by then, amen, that it is to your advantage to cast your lot with the people of God. I will be delivered from my cigarettes without having to go to all the meetings. Be delivered from my liquor without having to go to all those meetings with those alcoholics. I mean, without a nagging, clawing, gnawing desire to go back to it, you'll be delivered from it as if you never used them. Praise God. The habit will be gone. You'll be set free. This we guarantee you. This is what you get. Hallelujah. But you don't get it for nothing. Hallelujah. And neither does God ask you to serve him for nothing. The devil asks. Asked the Lord about Job. The Lord said, what about Job? You considered him, yeah, but said he don't serve you for nothing. And the Lord didn't say, oh, yeah, he does. No, he didn't say that. The truth is, Job don't serve God for nothing. Job does get something for serving the Lord. Amen. And God does not expect us to serve him for nothing. Amen. Neither 
Does he give us his rich reward for nothing on our part? You have to sit down and weigh it out. Hallelujah. See what it costs and what you get. And you have to be persuaded and convinced. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul uh, pointed all of this out. Amen. And the man said, Oh, thou persuadest me. I'm telling you, you've just about sold me on the eye. And Paul said, Well, I wish you were completely persuaded because the truth is you won't have it and you can't get it and you won't pay the price. You just won't pay the price. You'll not be happy at what we're charging unless you're fully persuaded. Right. But I wouldn't have it all together persuaded. All together persuaded. Hallelujah. How many of you are all together persuaded that serving God is the best thing for you? Because the day that you believe, amen, that serving God is not the best thing for you, that's the day you're going to start uh, going to the enemy and say, what will you give me? Like Judas did. What are you giving you realize you're not, or when you think you're not getting your money's worth in serving God, you'll start looking around to see if maybe you can get what you're missing somewhere else. Hallelujah. Yes. So that's the way it is. And uh, so we, we don't uh, kidnap and capture anybody. We don't, uh, uh, someone was testifying. They were all wound up tight with this uh, a touch of uh, charismatic uh, stuff in them. And they, you know, just all wound up on this uh, super charismatic revivalism. And uh, they were up just, just about to go into orbit. And they said, uh, I'm so happy to tell you about this great Pentecostal extravaganza. They were in a fellowship meeting out of earth and said, Multitudes and multitudes are being irresistibly swept into this great Pentecostal extravaganza. Well, I've not seen it happen just like that. There's, I tell you what, there is a revival on. Give in hungry hearts and a tired of sin, sick of the world. Hallelujah. The gospel saves them. Yeah. Amen. If they'll believe the gospel, if this is what they want, if they're willing to pay the price for a quality product. But there's no such things as multitudes being irresistibly swept into the great Pentecostal extravaganza. No, you sit down and count the cost. Amen. See whether you're willing to pay the price. That's what repentance is. I say that's what repentance is. You die out to what you have been. Hallelujah. And you say, yes, Lord. Praise God. I'll follow you. Amen. And you are, you must become willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Someone says, well, I took up his cross. No, he took his cross. You take your cross. Jesus Christ did a good job, a first class job of carrying his cross. Amen. And we must do a first place job of carrying our cross. Not his cross, but our cross. Amen. And he says, if, if someone says, well, everyone, everyone can be saved. I don't believe everyone can be saved. All right. so the Bible says, whosoever. It don't say whosoever, it says whosoever will. There's a lot of folks that won't. And it's just for whosoever will. It's not whosoever, it's whosoever will. There are there are some conditions, amen, that are imposed upon all of us. Something as wonderful as the gospel, someone says, well, it's a free gift. Well, if it's a free gift, why don't everyone have it? There must be some conditions. Amen. Hallelujah. A man told me, he said, I have a pig for you. I said, good, thank you. He said, I'm going to give it to you. And I said, good, when? He said, as soon as you build a pen for it. Well, I thought it 
prepare for it. Amen. And that's the way salvation is. Sure, it's a gift. But you're not getting it until you prepare yourself for it. You must repent. Hallelujah. Before you receive the Holy Ghost. No, I do not believe anyone receives the Holy Ghost until they repent. It. It'd be contrary to the Bible. Oh, yes, it would. It'd be like Jesus rising from the dead before he died. Repentance comes first. People talk about the gospel. They say, I don't believe in doctrine. All I believe is the gospel. Well, if you believe and understand the gospel, friend, you've got a straight, clear, narrow doctrine. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's all I believe in. Okay, that's, that's all right. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is follow him in the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection. Death, you die by repentance. You're crucified with Christ in repentance. You're buried with him in baptism in Jesus' name. And you rise with him in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. All right. Hallelujah. That's a new birth. You cannot separate the new birth experience from the gospel. You cannot separate the new birth experience from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. No, we're not saved by works. Amen. Hallelujah. But we do have to prepare the temple so that he can move in. And it's necessary that a person repents. Praise the Lord. Say praise the Lord. And uh, God is fair. He's not fooling anyone. He's not kidding anyone. He don't say, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, everybody, everybody, everybody. No, he says, whosoever will. Hallelujah. If you'll take up his cross, Jesus very clearly says, if any man is not willing to give up everything and take up his cross, he cannot be my disciple. You mean the gospel shuts some people out? Right. Amen. The gospel shuts some people out. You mean the Bible is fixed to where some people cannot go to heaven? Jesus said, they cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Hello. Cannot be my disciple. Except a man meet these conditions, he cannot be my disciple. That's right. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, we don't teach that in our church. This new birth is an optional thing. That's your business. I, I, I have the right to believe like I want to. Yes, you do. I have a right to go to any church I want to. Yes, you do. Our church has a right to teach whatever it wants to. Sure it does. But Jesus said, except you be born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. Right. Hallelujah. Your priest, your pope, your bishop, your preacher, your pastor, your evangelist, they can teach anything they want to. But you must remember, Jesus is the one who says, I go and prepare a place for you. He's the one that said, I will come again and receive you. And he's the one that's going to sit and judge us by the things written in his book. And he said, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Amen? Hallelujah. Does Jesus Christ have the right to say who can and who can't? Or to stipulate what the conditions would be? It's his gospel. He's the one died. He's going to prepare a place. He created the world. We're his creation. Huh? Yes. He's the one who gave us the book. He's going to prepare the place. He's coming back for us. He's going to set the judges. He's the door that you've got to come through. Amen. Hallelujah. So 
it would be well for us to sit down and reason with him. He says, let me explain to you. He does not ask us to commit ourselves to him and receive nothing in return. Hallelujah. 7th chapter of 2 Corinthians said, Seeing we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Someone said, well, I don't want to give up all my pleasures unless I'm going to get something in return. Well, you are. God does not ask you to pay a price without receiving something in return. He says, come out from among them, be you separate. Amen. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. And I will come in and sup with you and you with me. Hallelujah. You don't leave you out in the cold. Reason that God, the reason that God requires a human heart to become cleansed, amen, is because he's got something better to put there. God would like to convince every one of us that his plan is better than anything we've ever found. God would like to convince us, and that's our job as preachers, is to convince people that God's plan offers them more than anything they've ever tried. There is nothing that you can get such rich rewards out of as investing your life in the plan of God. And if we can convince you of that, hallelujah, then it's easy for you to be pastored. It's easy for you to be taught, hallelujah, because you will do what you know is best for you. You weigh it out, it's clear and settled, and you're convinced of it. That's the way you see it, and that's the way you feel about it. Hallelujah, we won't have to twist your arm and make you say your prayers. Amen. We won't have to line you up and punish you because you didn't come to Sunday school. No, sir. Hallelujah. Because you know that you're investing in something that's going to pay great dividends. God in the, what is it, 51st, 55th chapter of Isaiah, he said, why spend you your money for that that is not bread and your labor for that that satisfies not? Praise God. He said, Oh, I'm thirsty. Come ye, amen, and drink. Buy, buy bread without the money and, uh, and without price. Hallelujah. He said, because you're spending your time and your effort for that that ultimately is not going to satisfy. You know what the Lord is doing, kind of like in these Oriental bazaars or uh, down in Mexico, Brother Rico, these little shops. You know, somebody's in there and just a deal and they say, I make you a good deal. I have a good thing for you here. I have a good thing for you. And uh, Brother Duplis and I have been over there in, in those places. And, and about four or five of them down the way there, they stand out in front of that little shop. Mr. Mr. Come here. Come here. He will cheat you. You will not get your money worth. His, his stuff is very cheap. It is not good. Come here. I will make you a better deal. Well, that's what the Lord's doing to the sinner. Amen. The Lord said, hey, sinner, sinner, do not go in there. You will get drunk and you will lose your money. You will, you will take cancer when you smoke them cigarettes. You will cough. You'll cough very much tomorrow. It's very, very bad for you. Come here. I'll, I'll give you better. Amen. That's what Brother McDaniel and him do. Standing here on the side of that tent said, hard the one that thirsty. Why spend your money for that that is not bread? And your labor for that that satisfies not. Come over here and you'll get something better. Hallelujah. And if you if you cannot be convinced, if we cannot convince you that it's better to serve the Lord, then you won't keep serving the Lord. Because they're going to keep hollering from the next little shop. Is that right? 
Praise God. That's why people ought to have the power of God in their life. That's why people ought to enjoy serving God. Amen. You ought to get in here and get enough out of Halloween to learn to appreciate it. Amen. Get enough to learn to appreciate it. Praise God. Get wrapped up in it and begin to enjoy the benefits of serving God. So when the devil hollers, hey, come here, come here. Look, we got a party. We got an outing here. We got this and that going. Amen. You say, well, glory to God. I'm well satisfied serving God. Praise yeah. the world. Amen. Don't allure me because I'm getting my money's worth. Hallelujah. See my family growing up living for God. Amen. Gathering around praying at night. When we're sick, God heals us. Hallelujah. When we have problems, God sends the answer. We go to church and we're blessed. We're fed. Amen. Everything just works itself out for us. Hallelujah. Devil, you don't have anything to compare with that. And besides, Mr. Devil, I've tried what you had. And it didn't satisfy me. Thank God for a reasonable plan. But you can sit down and analyze it. Look at it from every angle, read all the fine print, amen, and decide that serving God is the best thing for my life. Amen. One of the principles of salesmanship, you have got to convince a person that they will better themselves. Their life will become better, more pleasing and happy. They and their family will gain by buying your product. What it costs, amen, weighing everything out, they will come out ahead by buying your product. Or else by buying your product, amen, they will avoid great disaster and great uh, discomforts and misery or problems. They will uh, save themselves from unpleasant situations, amen, by buying your product. You sell a fire alarm system not because it's going to bring them great joy and pleasure, but because of the prospect that it could save them great disaster. Amen. On the other hand, you sell a nice cream freezer because uh, you have convinced them that they'll enjoy many pleasant evenings out on the patio with their family making ice cream. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's hard to sell anyone anything unless they personally are going to come out ahead by purchasing it. And so it is with the gospel. I believe we have a sellable plan. Yeah. I believe we have something if we can just get the ear and the attention of a sinner. Amen. And put it out to them like it is. Praise God. If they're sober and sensible and reasonable, what they should be able to see that it would be better for them to serve God than to go on their way as they are. I do not believe that we've got to hide all the facts. Amen. I say I do not believe we have to hide all the facts. Amen. Someone says, well, I'm afraid to advertise my church as a Pentecostal church or an apostolic church. For fear that maybe no one will come. I'd like to get them and then string it on them. I'll advertise it as a non-denomination. Or I'll advertise it as a charismatic. Or I'll just advertise it as a people's church. Or, or, or uh, hallelujah tabernacle or something. Yeah. Amen. Sooner or later people's going to have to know what it costs them to serve God. Praise God. Sit down and count the cost. Weigh it out. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. And uh, you can't oversell it. You ought to do everything he said he would do. Having these promises, cleanse yourself of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. The reason God wants to get sin out of our life is because he's got something better to put there. And as long as our life is full of sin, then the good things of God has no place. The reason that the Lord wants to take uh, ugly, dirty thoughts out of your mind is because he'd like to put pleasant thoughts there. To run over and over in your mind. The 
The reason the Lord would like to get all that rock and roll and bebop music out of your mind, it is because he has songs of joy and praise that he'd like to roll over and over in your heart. Hallelujah. And there's not room there for both. I say there is not room there for both. Praise God. And many, many other things. It's just as uh, my brother Mike Daniel showed me where they were clearing a road over there close to his place. Well, the reason they're pushing those trees and stumps and snags and briar patches up, here means because they're going to put something nice there. I notice uptown they're clearing the place. Looks like maybe a park or something. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when you understand what God has in mind, when you understand what God's purpose is and what God is going to do, then you will not resent the fact that he's getting all this other junk out. Some people do not place such great 
values on eternal things. That's what we're going to get into in just a moment, Lord willing. Amen. Remember this, that's, uh, that some people that a clean life, an honest, straight life, and a clear conscience doesn't mean a whole lot to them. So salvation doesn't mean a whole lot to them. Amen. When you see folks that drag around, don't have the courage to wash their ears and wash their hair, amen, keep their kids' nose clean, drag around the house looking like a hog pen, they don't have the courage or desire to sweep or clean and pick up things, they don't care whether they ever amount to anything or not, just drag, drag, that's all they care for. Shove dirty dishes back to the back of the table and just, just wash one plate so they eat. You cannot expect that person to greatly appreciate the message that we preach. Because good, clean, upright living does not have a very high value to it in their eyes. Amen? Hallelujah. It's hard to appeal to them by showing them, amen, that you can have a better life this way. Clean conscience, clear heart. Amen. Be upright and decent. Have fellowship with decent people. Praise God. Spend your eternity in heaven, a beautiful place. That doesn't mean much to them. They'd rather have a six-pack of roasted possum. Amen. Sitting on a log somewhere. Hallelujah. That's right. Praise God. But uh, for people who, who want a good life, for people who are thinking people, for people who are reasonable and sensible, this gospel is beautiful. And God will not ask you to leave your old pleasure and your old sin and your old friends. God will not ask you to leave your old traditional church and your religious doctrine. Amen. But what? He will replace it absolutely with something better every time. God will give you something better than any place of He said, I'll give you more friends. More friends, more houses and land in this present world and in the world to come, eternal life. Of course, you've got to believe that he's honest. You've got to believe that God's not trying to trick you or fool you. He really will do what he said he would do. That's the reason some people hold on to what they've got. Amen. Because they're afraid to turn loose. They're afraid maybe God's not going to do what he said he'd do. You know, God made a, a, a bargain with Abraham. God said, Abraham, get up and leave all these heathens and these idol worshipers. Get out of here. I can't ever cultivate in you the real person that I want you to be. You can't ever be my man. I can't ever make of you anything great as long as you're wrapped up and bogged down in all this heathenism and idolatry here. He said, if you get up and move out and give me room, I'll make something out of it. You mean leave my mom and dad and leave all of you? That's right. Leave it. What do I get? Amen. I'll make of you... A great nation, your children is the sand of the sea, stars of the heaven, innumerable. Amen. I'll give you, you mean, i got to leave my 40 acres and my mule? Yeah, get up and leave it. What, what am I going to get? Praise God. Every piece of land you put your foot on will be yours. Do you believe that, Abraham? He said, I believe it. Praise God. He said, I believe it. The Bible said, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. You mean, Abraham, you're going to leave all that? Yes. Doesn't make sense. Well, it does to me because I believe I'm going to get all of this. I believe God's going to do this for me. You mean you're going to leave old Uncle Tom and Dad and those 13 cousins you're leaving? Yes. Amen. 
Amen. Innumerable. Praise God. Yes, you, you can believe your past. If you believe, you'll have a future. If you can absolutely believe the future that God is promising you, it's not hard to walk on to leave your past. The reason some people hold on to such meager little things and pledges and sins that are destroying them, amen, and such bum friends, is because they just can't believe that God's plan is as good as the Word of God says it is. Hallelujah. Do you remember when the Word of God began to make sense to you? When God's plan began to entice you and you became interested in what God was offering? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Abraham understood. You know, it's interesting, and I won't go into that, but the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, you might look at that. God and Abraham sit down. Abraham said, well, what are you going to give me? What am I going to get? No, okay. Hallelujah. On these bases, Lord, I'm walking out, leaving everything and serving. But you know what it said about Lot? And Lot went with him. Hallelujah. We got a lot of folks who just decided to go with us. They didn't talk to God. God didn't talk to them. They never waited out. They never counted the cost. Hallelujah. Amen. It never did anything to them. There was no consecration, no dying out. Amen. Oh, Lot, he was just moving around there. And Abraham, he was getting everything straight and went. Hey, not where you're going. Well, I'm, I'm going this way. He said, well, I'm going to. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you know where you're going? Praise God. You know what you left? You know where you're going? You know what it's cost you? You know what the conditions are? Consequently, we find Abraham building altars and getting right with God and consecrating and dedicating and repenting. And the same place it said that Abraham built an altar and there worshiped God, it said that Lot had much cattle. He was out there feeding the stock while Abraham was having a prayer meeting. Alan, you have to commit yourself to the plan of God. You've got to believe. Praise God. All right? Even I'll take God up on it. And Lot never did. Never did get around the way it out. He never did get around to counting the cost. And he constantly was looking. Hallelujah. He was looking for something like he had back home. Finally, the Bible said he spotted a little patch of green. Even like they had in Zor. And he said, hey, look here. You know, there are people standing around the church watching for a little touch of carnality and worldliness in the church that they can latch on to. Right. They don't want to go back to the world and get it, but they sure would like to find it in the church. Come on, preacher. Amen. That's the reason people run after this rock music, and it turns them on so. Right. Hallelujah. Because it grieved them a lot to have to give that up out in the world. Amen. And they're constantly looking to see if maybe they can pick it up in the church. There's some phase of their carnality that was never crucified. There's something about them that never was put on the altar. And they're constantly trying to find what they left out in the world. But they really don't want to have to go back out in the world to get it. And uh, that's what the world calls. That's what the world says. Well, you know, the church has to be contemporary. Uh, you know, the church can't, uh, uh, can't be different from the society that it's operating in. So you have to let uh, sin come into church and you have to bring all this into church to keep the people in the church. Amen? Yeah, you, you, you know, you've got, to, you've got to bring all of this contemporary music and all of this that's out in the world, you've got to bring that in so you can hold the people in the church. Yes. Amen. Well, as long as you've got the world in the church, amen, the church is providing no real service. Hallelujah. All the church is just 
I mean, they ought to get it on some federal program and let it start passing out food stamps because all it is is just kind of a social agency. Get it on one of these here giveaway programs and, and let Uncle Sam put the bill. Hallelujah. The church, praise God, the function of the church is to save people from the world. Hallelujah. Save them from the generation that's around them. Save them from what's happening out there. The church cannot be a contemporary with the world. The church cannot blend in with the society around it. Lord. All right, well, let me move. Right on now, we're going to try to get into our lesson today. This scripture that I read to you, Thou shalt not have in thy bag divers' weights, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thine house divers' measures, a great and small. Now, I asked Brother Duplitz last night what those divers' weights meant. And he said that was these heavy lead weights that these divers strapped around their, their waist when they died. Of course, he, you know, when he thought I was going to get up here and uh, make a dunce out of myself, instead of that, I make a dunce out of him. Someone said, uh, was explaining about Cornelius, and uh, they said uh, he was a musician, the Bible said so, because he was captain of a band. And said he was a doctor because he said he gave much alum. <laughs> but, uh, this diver's weights here, because Brother Duplessis was just kidding with me. <laughs> this diver's weights means different weights. Different, various weights. And says, thou shalt not have in thy bag diver's weights. When you're going to weigh something, you know, you look at it, and you decide, well, am I selling or am I buying? And then you decide which weight to use. And back home, uh, we don't sell corn much anymore through there. But used to, we'd sell corn. All the people from all around Eunice and Bill Platt and Rice Country come over to Melbourne to buy corn. And all these old French folks around home, not all of them, but a lot of them, they'd have two barrels. They'd have one barrel that they measured corn with when they went to the, to the meal to grind it because they charged 30 cents a barrel to grind it. So they use a big, big barrel like that. They wouldn't have many barrels to pay for but when those folks came from Bill Platt to buy corn, they'd use a poison drum. Cotton poison drum, that's a barrel. They'd have two barrels, one to measure if they're buying and another to measure if they're selling. Of course, those folks that came from Bill Platt, they brought their own barrel. They'd bring one of these great big old flour barrels. You put about 200 pounds of corn in it, and that's what they wanted to buy it with. Those folks at home wanted to sell it in a poison drum. And well, calcium arsenic, uh, cotton poison drum. But the Bible here says, Thou shalt not have in thy bag divers' weights. Different weights. Now, how many of you have ever picked cotton? Oh, brother. That's, uh, I don't mean driving a cotton picker. You know, pick, picking cotton. Drag that sack, that's right. That's real cotton picking. Amen. Hallelujah. But uh, you, you go to pick cotton for a fellow. First thing I'm going to check, uh, you know these old cotton scales made like this. Had a little deal here and hook on it. And then they hung the sack of cotton over here. And they have what they call peas, a little lead thing here. 
had two of them. One weighed up to 40 pounds, the other weighed up to 200 pounds. And uh, they, this is all calibrated. Some of you folks know what this is, and some of you haven't had no education. And, uh, so you take and put the sack of cotton on here, and this goes up, and then you put one of these weights on wherever you level it out. Well, that's how much, uh, how much it weighed. But the first thing I wanted to look at, I wanted to turn this thing upside down because it had a hole in the bottom, and I wanted to see how much lead they had poured in there. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. And I have seen them fill it up with lead. Well, when they fill that up with lead, it would level this thing out. Maybe right here is where it ought to level it, but if this is heavy, they put it way back here and it'd level it. So you only had 65 pounds instead of 78 pounds. And the thieves, us poor kids, barefooted trying to make some school clothes, came in and they were just a cheating and a stealing from us, and we knew it. Oh, we'd grumble, yeah, we'd grumble. In fact, we have been known to look at it, catch nobody looking, and throw it just as far as we can throw it. And then they'd have to guess how much cotton we had. But that, that was the old trick. Now, when they, when someone came, you know, another time in the year, and they came and said, Boudreaux, here you have some pigs for sale. He said, young man got some fine pigs for sale. And they went out to weigh the pig. They paid 17 cents a pound. They went out to weigh the pig. He, in his bag, he had two different sets of these pigs. He had one. Not only did it not have any lead in the end of it, but he had taken it down to the grindstone and ground about half an inch off the bottom of the thing. And that's how he sold his pigs. He weighed his cotton with one weight, and he sold his pigs with another weight. So this light one, when he put it on here, it should be right here, but he done lighten that thing up, and it weighed way out here. And instead of being a 120-pound pig, it was a 149-pound pig. And the Bible says, don't do that. Amen. You sell it in the same barrel you buy it in, and uh, you weigh it for the same fee whether you're buying or selling or paying the cotton pickers, weigh it all the same one. If it needs lead in it, to make it correct, put lead in it. But don't forget, when they come to buy your pig, or when they come to buy a dozen chickens from you, you put them in a sack and you weigh them with the same weight. Jesus said in the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew, let's uh, look at this up. Now, so that y'all won't say the same thing he said yesterday, someone said, uh, well, he never did say what he was teaching about. I'm going to tell you now what I'm teaching about, in case anybody asks you, because you won't be able to tell by listening to me. I'm teaching about having a true sense of values. That's what I'm teaching about, if anybody asks you. Okay. The 20... Third chapter of the book of Matthew, the 23rd verse. Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and miss and common and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the others undone. Jesus here is talking about weightier matters, matters that weigh more. Now when it comes to how much it weighs, you know, whether it's uh, paying tithes or having mercy, 
Who says one weighs more than the other? Well, Jesus said that mercy and judgment and faith weighs more than the ritualistic things, these things that are required, amen, and other places. with me today the uh, the truth that in the mind of every one of us now this ties into what we were talking about yesterday how you see things is going to determine how you react to them how you think how you think is going to regulate how you act I can present all the facts but you're going to be more impressed with the way you see it and the way you feel about it, than a stack of books this high. You are going to act on the basis of the way you see it, and the way you believe it, and the way it looks to you. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to follow us today. And I tell you, and I want you to keep this in mind as we go through this today, that in the mind and heart of every one of us, we have our own standard of marriages. We assign weights as we see fit. We say in our own mind how much it weighs and we act accordingly. We assign a value to it and as far as we're concerned, that's how much it's worth. It doesn't matter how much it's worth to somebody else, as far as we're concerned, this is how much it's worth. If I took a uh, one-foot square piece of styrofoam and painted it gray, and I held it here, or I set it there, and uh, maybe it's glued down, and someone comes and tries to pick it up, they can't pick it up. Another fellow comes along and punches his finger into it, and I say, what do y'all say that is? One of them says it's lead, solid lead. The other says nothing but styrofoam. You know, and I come over here, and I reach down, and I pick it up, and one of them says, oh, that guy's strong. The truth that in the mind of every one of us, now this ties into what we were talking about yesterday, how you see things is going to determine how you react to them, how you think, how you think is going to regulate how you act. I can present all the facts, but you're going to be more impressed with the way you see it and the way you feel about it than a stack of books this high. You are going to act on the basis of the way you see it and the way you believe it and the way it looks to you. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to follow us today. And I tell you, and I want you to keep this in mind as we go through this today, that in the mind and heart of every one of us, we have our own standard of marriages. We assign weights as we see fit. 
We say in our own mind how much it weighs, and we act accordingly. We assign a value to it, and as far as we're concerned, that's how much it's worth. It doesn't matter how much it's worth to somebody else. As far as we're concerned, this is how much it's worth. If I took a uh, one-foot square piece of styrofoam and painted it gray, and I held it here, or I set it there, and uh, maybe it's glued down, and someone comes and tries to pick it up, they can't pick it up. Another fellow comes along and punches his finger into it, and I say, what do y'all say that is? One of them says it's lead, solid lead. The other says nothing but styrofoam. You know, and I come over here, and I reach down, and I pick it up, and one of them says, Oh, that guy's strong. And the other said, who's he trying to fool? Because one of them has assigned that little block, three ounces, and another has assigned 400 pounds. And their reaction is in accordance with the value that they have placed on it. In their mind, they have affixed a certain value to it. And that's how they react. One of them, if I pick it up and throw it out there, they just reach out and catch it. In front of the other one, would head for cover. Amen? If I tied it up there and I let someone get up there with a pair of scissors and there was a rope or a big knife and they started to cut it, one of them would just sit there. It's nothing. That's nothing. Man, the other grabbed all his kids and get them way back out of the way and say there's splinter six of these pews when it falls. Two people looking at the very same thing, but they, for various reasons, have assigned different values to it. I wonder what kind of weights you have in your bag. When it comes to the things of God, how do you weigh all these things? You, you will follow me when I tell you that not everything weighs the same amount with everybody. Amen? Not everything has the same value to different people. And so somewhere, let's see if we can get one of these other kind of scales here. Maybe down at the meat market or somewhere. Got a little needle here. Well, somewhere down in this box here, there's springs and there's weights and there's all kind of mechanism. And what is in here, when you put something out here on this little platform here, what is in here is going to determine where this needle stops. You can set something on here but the way this thing here is rigged up and geared up and set, maybe there's a little set screw here that you can set it. I remember an old man had a grocery store close to us when I was a kid, and uh, it all depended on who was buying cheese or what you eat. He'd just stand there turning that screw while he's chewing the back and talking to him and hold that meat. He wouldn't put it on there. He'd turn it, turn it, and then he'd put it on there and weigh it. And he weighed it very quick and then wrapped it up and sold it. 
someone else came in, he might turn that thing back the other way before he waved theirs. Because he knew that they knew. Amen. Or if someone picked up something like five pounds of sugar and uh, a package of meat and started up there, and he knew, he knew that they were suspicious of him, uh, he'd set that thing and try to get back right. Because he knew chances were before they weighed their meat, they were going to weigh that bag of sugar. And if that bag of sugar weighed seven and a half pounds, he was going to be in trouble. So I'm telling you, the scripture that I read to you yesterday, quoted, I guess, to you, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Down inside of all of us, we develop a set of weights and measures that we apply to different things. Now, in Washington, D.C., in the Bureau of Weights and Measures, there is uh, what is supposed to be exact, exactly calibrated weights and measures. That our entire uh, economic system is supposed to be judged and gauged by. And so it is in the Word of God. We have an exact system of spiritual weights and measures. Things that we're to compare and evaluate by. But the fact remains that in the life of every one of us, in our heart, in our thinking, in our mind, amen, we assign values as we see it. We set our own system. Right down in here somewhere in the mind of every one of us, in the heart of every one of us, amen, we set values to different things as we face them. And we weigh things in our own scales. Sometimes, if it involves us, we weigh it with one set of weights. If it involves somebody else, we weigh it with a different set of weights. All right. All right. Hello. If we're buying, we measure with one barrel. If we're selling, we measure with the other. The Bible says it's an abomination. All right. All right. Amen. Hello. And I can tell you that I can tell you that this weighs three kilograms. But if you are convinced that it weighs a half a ton, you are going to react toward it as if it weighed a half a ton. If it drops, you're going to move out of its way. Because you believe it's made out of lead. And it said that uh, some travelers, some prospectors, traveling in Africa and uh, going in to do some preliminary uh, study, Considering the possibility of uh, developing a mining company there, hopefully to mine gold, and stopped at a little old hut, just a little old grass top hut, and was trying to converse and communicate with the natives there. And they noticed an irregularly shaped stone that was holding the little uh, rough door closed to keep the uh, goats out. It was up against the little door, and uh, they asked about it, uh, what is that for? What do y'all do with that? And they said, well, we keep the door closed, keep the wind from blowing the door open. And uh, the man says, well, look, I, I've got a, a brick here. It's very smooth, and uh, it's uh, proportioned well, 
and it has uh, straight lines to it, and I'll trade you. I'll trade you for that old uh, rough-looking rock that you have, that piece of glass. And the man says, oh, yes, I would very much like to trade. And he felt very, very good because he had something that was machine-made. And it, to him, it had much more value than, uh, than what he gave away. But the truth was, he had traded one of the largest diamonds that had ever been discovered. He picked it up in the field, brought it in, and propped the door to with it. But he's trading it now for a brick that's worth about nine cents. And he's very happy with his trade. He shows all his friends, look what I got. I traded that old stone for it. Man, did I get a good deal. Of course, the prospectors went off with his diamond. You see, the fact that it was a diamond didn't mean a thing to him because he had not placed a diamond value on it. Amen. This brick meant more to him. The early explorers of the United States traded the Indians out of a lot of valuables and uh, artifacts and animal skins and hides for the little trinkets because to the Indians, to the Indians, they didn't place great value on those things, but the little dazzling trinkets was worth more to them. We are amazed. We are sickened sometimes. I think I reflect the feelings of these pastors. Amen. And I, I tell you, we are so saddened and sickened and disappointed sometimes when we see people trading valuables off for trinkets. And we are not able to convince them that they are being cheated. Because in their mechanism, they have assigned values. And on the basis of the values that they have assigned, that's the way their meter reads. That is the way their meter reads. Amen. And people get to the place sometimes that their, their emotions are stronger than reason. Their feelings uh, take them beyond the reach amen, of careful, reasonable, sensible study. You're here today and you're calm and clear and intelligent and sensible enough to have a clear set of values concerning life and spiritual things. You're very fortunate. Most of the world does not. Right. I say most of the world does not. Hallelujah. And I can scream and holler and I can beat on the pulpit and I can call people into my office for personal counseling. Amen. And I can do everything else. I can try so hard. But in the final analysis, people are going to call it like they see it. Amen. As a man thinketh in his heart, that's the way he's going to be. And the only way that I can help him to be different is to get him to think different in his heart. That's why Pentecost better be something besides just inspiration. There better be enough Holy Ghost education. Amen. Our people are never going to live right. They're going to be up and down and bounce and bump from one revival to the next. They're going to shout and they're going to take note. Amen. They're going to talk in tongues and they're going to drink beer. And it's going to be a cycle, a roller coaster, up and down, in and out, in and out. Until they are convinced in their mind and they are able to see it right. They're able to think right. Yes. They're able to develop a sense of values 
Amen. So that when they consider a thing, their needle will read correctly. Hallelujah. As they think in their hearts so often. Praise God. Praise God. If a person thinks selfishly, they're selfish. If a person thinks hateful, they're hateful. We can preach against hate. Amen. But as long as that's the way they think. If a person thinks they're being mistreated, there is no way to make them think otherwise, or there's no way for them to act otherwise. If they think they're being mistreated, they don't have to be mistreated. Because what they think, amen, as far as they're concerned, that's how much it weighs. That's the size it is. Hallelujah. You, you pay them and say, good morning, how you doing? That's a, that's a nice suit you've got on. As far as they're concerned, you're making fun of them. It doesn't matter that you were sincerely trying to pay them a compliment and you were very anxious to show goodwill and friendship and kindness. Amen. Because of the way they're wired up inside, amen, it's going to register on their scale that he's making fun of you because that's the way they think in their heart. Things that you mean for a compliment becomes an insult. When you try to help people sometimes, they strongly resent it. Why is that? It's because of the way they're wired up. It's because of the way that little screw is set. That's how they are. Glory to God. And that's why, brother, sister, amen, there are times when the only way we can be saved is for us to be changed. If we can't be changed, we can't be saved. Amen. If our mind can't be changed, we can't be saved. Hallelujah. Because our spirit, our attitude, our relationship with people, our response, our reaction to the preached word of God, our response to leadership, amen, all this reflects what's down inside and the way we think about things. Amen. So whether or not we're saved, whether or not we get along in God's church, whether or not we keep serving God will depend to a great extent on how we weigh things. Some things weigh heavier to some people than they do to others. In Micah the sixth chapter said, I shall not have scant measure or a bag of deceitful weights. Amen. Let's look at a few examples here of what we're talking about. The Bible says, and I mentioned this yesterday, and I'm trying to wind up some of those loose ends I left yesterday. I left so many. But the Bible says that Judas went out and he asked the enemies of Jesus, how much will you give me? They said 30 pieces of silver. Well, 30 pieces of silver, about $19.20. And at that time, the Bible said Judas was a thief. Judas was following the Lord for a monetary gain, and he was greatly disappointed because Jesus did not rebuke the woman for breaking the alabaster box and pouring the ointment upon him in worship. He recognized that Jesus was too spiritual for him, and uh, there was a not, not enough uh, material gain in following Jesus, and he weighed it all out. He said, we get some loaves and fishes sometimes, and now and then we catch a fish with money in his mouth, 
And there's some things that maybe would pay off, but all the way around, it doesn't look like we're coming out ahead very much. There's uh, too much benevolence and there's too much humility. There's too much spiritual application to everything. So they said, we'll give you $19.20. And he said, so. The Bible says they coveted or they agreed to 30 pieces of silver, which is the value of a man. And the Old Testament, it teaches us that 30 pieces of silver was the value or the price set on the head of a common slave. A common slave. One of the most worthless ones. One of the least valuable of all. Can you believe? You say, well, it was the devil. He couldn't control himself. It was a predestinated. He had to do it. I don't believe that. I believe the reason that Judas sold Jesus is because Judas had his scale set in such a way in his heart and in his mind that when he set Jesus Christ, the mighty God, on his scale, amen, it read less than just a common slave. And Judas said $19.20 will be a fair trade and I'll come out ahead by swapping with you. If I had a common slave, I could rent him out and let him hoe cotton and, and pick peas. But with Jesus, it's all the hereafter. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's something that is to come. And to Judas, this didn't have much value to it. So he said, I will sell it. I put him on my scale and I lay it out. Amen. And I agree with you to let you have him for 30 pieces of silver. Take him and go. I'll come out ahead with the money. You can have Jesus. I want the money. Because money weighed heavier in Ju on Judas's scale than spiritual life did, eternal life. Oh, you've seen it many times. You have seen it many times. Hallelujah. That people would say, well, I know. I know if I keep serving God, I'll go to heaven when I die. I'll have eternal life. But, amen, I've got to give up this or this or this or something else. Oh, let me tell you. If somehow by the Holy Ghost, amen, our minds could be renewed. And we could have the mind of Christ in us. Amen. And somehow the light of God would shine on us. Amen. And God would give us good sense. Yeah, good sense. Jesus said to the man in the 12th chapter of the book of Luke, He's a fool. How can you say a man's a fool who is a master of fortune? How can you say a man's a fool who's got his barns full? Saving certificates and money in the bank. How can you say he's a fool? Jesus said he's a fool because he thinks that the soul can live on the stuff he's got stacked up in that barn. And said he's not rich toward God. A man is a fool who places greater value on earthly things than he does on spiritual things. This mechanism is messed up. Amen. His weights and springs are all out of calibration. And he said, soul, take it easy. You've got, you've got it made. And Jesus said, you're a fool. A man is a fool. A man is a fool who is so busy accumulating earthly things that he never gets around to getting right with God. He's not thinking right. His thinking mechanism is messed up. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Judas, you sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. You got your bag full now. But isn't it strange sometimes what a difference a little bit of time makes? 
He walked out in the dark and walked around and looked around. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. Every backslider, if they still retain their, their sanity, even if their conscience has not been seared, every backslider knows they made a mistake. Oh, yes, they know that they made a mistake. They know they weighed things wrong in their scale. Judas came back and said, I'd like to swap back. Praise God. But let me tell you something. You can't swap 30 pieces of silver for Jesus Christ. You might trade Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Amen. But Jesus Christ is worth more than that. Amen. You can't get him back for 30 pieces of silver. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may give Jesus Christ up for a cigarette, but the day can come. Amen. When you say, I just found out I had lung cancer, and you may give your cigarette up and not get Jesus Christ back. He's worth more than that. The fact that there was a day when you said a cigarette is worth more, and then remember you were weighing it on your scale. But it doesn't mean that you can swap it back for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The Bible says, and um, the scripture book of Joshua, Joshua said his children, Choose you this day whom you will serve. If it seemed evil to you to serve the Lord, choose who you're going to serve. If it seems evil. I do not believe people will live for God unless it seems good to them to live for God. Hallelujah. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. I ask you today, are you enjoying living for God? Are you happy serving the Lord? Are you happy serving the Lord? Praise God. Is this the best thing you ever found? Yes, sir. Amen. Is God coming through with everything you promised? Hallelujah. Is God better to you than you thought he was going to be? Yeah. Praise God. Is serving the Lord. Amen. As wonderful as you imagine it would be. I hope you're happy serving God because if you're not happy, you'll either get happy or you'll quit. When I see people through a few services with that sad, dejected, disappointed, downcast look. Now, I know it's possible that maybe today they had five teeth pulled. You know, they're not going to be grinning and jumping. Or, or maybe they've had serious problems. Amen. I understand that. I do not believe that every time a person goes to church, they either shout or they backslid. Amen. They may, be, they may have a headache. That if you had the same kind of headache, you'd have stayed home. And the fact that they don't jump up and down, that when you feel like jumping down, does not mean that they backslid. It does not mean they're rebellious. It doesn't mean they don't love God, and it doesn't mean they're not spiritual. Oh, I mean, I go down some dark alleys sometimes. serving God. There's no worship. There's no glory. There's no praise and there's no love. Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is obviously not in their life. Amen. That person is getting ready to quit. Amen. And the day that you decide you're not getting your money's worth out of it, amen, that's the day you'll start thinking about quitting. That's why people ought to get everything the church offers. Oh, brother. Hallelujah. You ought to 
get in here and get everything there is for you. Sing and shout and worship and run and praise and glorify God and participate in God's blessing plan and be a part of it. Hallelujah. And like that, the devil won't ever be able to tempt you to go out and try what he's got. Amen. Because, Mr. Devil, I'm well pleased. As they said last night, I'm a satisfied customer. Hallelujah. Amen. I remember French camp meeting in Generate one time and preached a little message on uh, the danger of becoming too empty. The danger of becoming too empty. The wise man said, A full soul loatheth a honeycomb, but to an empty soul every bitter thing is sweet. Amen. And if you're not full of the glory of God, hallelujah, then the devil may be able to entice you. Praise God, but if you're full of the glory of God and the power of the anointing and blessings of the Holy Ghost, amen, the devil can't get your attention with none of his music or none of his advertisement or enticements. Stay full of the glory of God. Praise God, stay right in the middle of God's church and you're not more for the things of the world. Amen. amen. Let's take a look. Now keep these things in mind. What are we talking about? I'm going to remind you what we're talking about in case anyone asks you. Amen. I'm sorry I can't, I can't follow a theme close enough to keep my point clear in your mind. But when you pass for 21 years, you ramble so many times that it's hard to follow an outline. In the, remember what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is that if your heart is right and your mind is clear, and if you understand God's plan and you have faced up to it, you see what it costs, and on the basis of what it costs and what you get, you have reasoned it out and understood, and you have made your decision on the basis of God's plan. Amen. No one has fooled you. No one has uh, slipped it on you. Amen. You're serving God because serving God, you know that serving God is the best thing for you to do. Hallelujah. Then you're able to weigh things outright. You don't let your emotions run away with you. And I want to remind you that the way you develop this right sense of values is by hearing the word of God and praying and crucifying the flesh and keeping your eyes set on the goal. Yeah. Amen. Remembering, praise God, that this world is not your home. I might tell you that uh, the only way that you can keep a true sense of values Amen, is to let the spotlight of eternity continue to shine on your considerations. And always be influenced by your thinking, your thinking. Always be influenced by the fact that we may leave here tomorrow. Amen, by tomorrow we may be in eternity. Hallelujah. Don't ever forget to set that little uh, eternity conscious button on that scale. Hallelujah. Be sure to always include, amen, that eternity factor. Let's look at this now. In the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, talking about Moses, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Thank God for godly parents, amen. The next verse, though, says, By faith Moses, 
Okay, let's see. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. How can he do that? Esteeming, everyone say esteeming. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And what basis did he use to reach this conclusion and this decision? Now, I'm telling you, this Bible says that Moses esteemed or placed a greater value on, placed a greater weight to it. He said it is more valuable, it weighs heavier in my scale. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater, everyone say greater. Greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Hallelujah. All right, he's, he's, he's weighing it on one of these old time kind of scales. You know, on this side over here, he puts a reproach of Christ. And on this side, he puts all the treasures of Egypt. Some of you have seen the king's treasures in some countries. These countries are very proud of the king and queen's treasures. I've gone in and seen, I've seen them. All the crowns and the diamonds and the pearls and the rubies and the gold. That's the king's treasures. Plus the pyramids, all oh, those pharaohs thought those pyramids, there was nothing like it. it. Took 30 years to build a pyramid. Took 10 years to cut the stones, 10 years to haul the stones, and 10 years to stack them up there. I mean, they, they were proud of that. The pyramids of Egypt. I was up there several uh, weeks ago, climbed all the way up to the top, and an old priest up there showed me, said, see this coffin here? This is where Moses would have been. I looked at it and I thought, well, it, you know, it don't look too inviting. But uh, it, it was a big deal in those days. Get buried in the pyramids. Hallelujah. Wasn't that something? Moses stacked it all up there. He put all the jewels, all the dignity, all the honor, all the prestige, all the pleasure, the palaces, everything, all the servants. He put every bit of it. He stacked it all up, piled all the gold, stacked the pyramids on top of it. And then all of the prestige of the whole thing, he stacked it all up here, every bit of it up here. And you know what happened after he stacked all that up here? The reproach of Christ was heavier, and in, on his scale, he esteemed the reproach of Christ. Riches and all of that. Hallelujah. 